All right. Well, indeed, we are going to be finishing the book of Matthew. And for some of you, you may be thinking, wait a minute, we did that last week. And you're kind of right. Uh, but you'll remember that when we've, we've done this a few times with a couple of other books that we've gone through, uh, specifically the one I remember uh, was the book of James, when we had the opportunity to go through the whole book after we were done preaching piece by piece. And if you remember, um, and that was a video sermon during the wonderful days of COVID, um, but in that time we talked about puzzles and how, you know, if you get too focused on just the little pieces, you might miss out on the full picture that the puzzle is there to show you. And so if you take some time and put all the pieces together and then step back, you can see a beautiful picture where if you were just focusing on the one piece at a time, you might miss the picture for the piece. Another way people have said this before is you don't want to miss the forest for the trees. To be studying each tree to miss out on the fact that you're in a huge forest. And so what I love to do uh, at the end of a time where we've been breaking it apart, which by the way I think is important and good, don't get me wrong, I think it's important to take our time to go through the word of God to to explore the different little pieces throughout the book that God is trying to teach us different things through. But I also think it's valuable at the end or at the beginning, however you choose to do it, to just go through the whole book. I would actually encourage you at some point, if you haven't already this week, just read through the book of Matthew in one sitting. Just read through it. Uh, Not stopping to to dissect every little verse, but just read through the book. We don't have time to do that this morning. Uh, but I would encourage you even this week maybe to do that. You might see some pieces coming together to form a picture that maybe you didn't quite get as we went through it piece by piece. And so I would encourage you to do that. So this morning, that's what we're going to do. And so we're going to, in a sense, boil down the book of Matthew to just a few of the, the main points that I believe that Matthew, as he writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants us to understand as we read this gospel, the first gospel the one that tells us about Jesus coming into the world. And you will know that every single week, pretty much without exception, we've talked about the kingdom of heaven and that the book of Matthew is all about the kingdom. And so we're going to talk about the new kingdom today. You'll see the the title is New and Improved. And I, I believe as we look to Matthew, who happens to be the first book of the New Testament, the New Covenant, if you want to put it that way, that we see that Matthew is going to teach us that all things are becoming new through Jesus. New and improved. And I don't know about you, but I, I love when I am able to get new things. Like maybe a new phone, a, a new outfit, whatever it might be. Uh, I remember when I got my uh, new golf clubs. Like these things are very, they're nice, they're fun. You get them and you realize, hey, what I had before just wasn't as good. I'm so glad to have a new and improved thing. In so much of a greater way, we see that as we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament, not that the Old Testament was bad or that needs to be completely thrown away. Actually, Jesus, throughout the book of Matthew, is going to draw us back into the Old Testament and tell us how important it is for us to understand what God had been doing in the Old Testament. But now we see that as Jesus comes in the book of Matthew, that the kingdom that comes is a new and improved kingdom from the kingdoms of the past. And so we're going to be looking at newness today, that I believe as we read the book of Matthew, we get a picture of new, of what is new, a new kingdom, a new way to to live, and a new understanding of how God is working in this world. And so we're going to look at that today in a lot of different ways. Again, new doesn't uh, mean that the old is gone, but it does mean that it has shown us what is new and good and helpful as we go forward. So as the first book of the New Testament, that's the key that we're going to look at today. 
Uh, and we're going to actually go to the back of the book to start our time together. We ended with this last week, but we're going to go to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to use the last three verses of the book of Matthew as a way that I believe as Matthew is closing his gospel, he actually gives us an outline that we can go back and look through, through the whole book, to see how everything comes together to show us the newness of the covenant that God has brought through Jesus, the newness of the kingdom. And so we're going to look at these verses in Matthew 28, known as the Great Commission, but let's read them again together. And it's Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and this is what we read. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. These are not only the last words of the book of Matthew, but these are the last words that Jesus said in this book as well. It's interesting that I find that as Matthew concludes his gospel, it's with the very words of Jesus before he leaves his people. And he says, actually he doesn't really leave because he says, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. So here's what we're going to focus on this morning. As we look at these verses, there's several parts of this verse that we're going to break down that I think serve as an outline for this whole book. And it all centers around the word all. Okay, So every time the word all shows up here, I want to focus in on that and show you how the rest of the book points us to this point. That as we close, there's a reason these things are being brought about. The first all will be all authority. Uh, the next one is going to be all nations. The next one, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And finally, I am with you always. And we're going to look at those four things, and we're going to look back through the whole book and see how they all fit together to show us the new kingdom that God has brought through Jesus. And so let's look at that today together. Now, we are going to go through this fairly quickly. We're looking at a whole book. I'm not going to have time to read huge sections of Scripture. There will be a few sections that I will read as we go. But again, as we go through this, just remember back to some of the times we've looked at these pieces together as we bring them together now to form the puzzle. And so we're going to start by looking at our first idea of all authority teaches us in this new kingdom, there is a new king. There is a new king, and that is the king Jesus. Now, in one sense, Jesus has always been king, but we see as Matthew breaks us in, we see that a king is born. The new king for the new kingdom, the heavenly kingdom, will be here. And that is Jesus. Jesus himself is the new king. He is the king of kings above all the kings of Israel before him. And he would be the king of all. Hence we see in back in the verses we just read that Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. These are the words of Jesus. And he says, I am the one who holds all authority. In other words, I am king over all. I am king over everything. This new kingdom is not a kingdom without a king, and he is the new king that we have to worship and follow. And so we start uh, by looking in Matthew. Remember, Matthew 1 and 2 starts us by telling us the birth story of Jesus. But even before they get to the birth story, as God himself through Jesus is, is born as a baby, we get to that point. But in the midst of that, we see a genealogy that we start with. And that genealogy, the purpose was to show, if we remember, that Jesus was the rightful king of the Jews. And that's where we're going to start. In, in chapters 1 and verse two, in chapters 2, he is the king of the Jews, which is a phrase that we looked at really means the Messiah, the one who had come to deliver and to save. He is the king of the Jews. We see that through the genealogy. 
We see that through the Magi who come to travel to worship him as king. We see Herod who understands that there is a threat that the king of the Jews is here and tries to exterminate Jesus, but is not successful because God has protected the king, the rightful new king that has come. And so Jesus, right from the very beginning, we see this this happening when we see his king of the Jews. In fact, in the last part of the book, in verse 27, 37, as he's being crucified, remember what was put above him on the cross, here is the king of the Jews. And the understanding is from beginning to end, he is seen as the king of the Jews. He is the Messiah that was promised to come throughout the whole Old Testament. Talk about the old becoming new. The old had been pointing to this new king all throughout its pages. And now we see, as Matthew enters the scene at the beginning and end of the book, that Jesus is seen as the king of the Jews, the Messiah who is promised to come. And so we have a new king in the new kingdom that we are in. Not only is he king of the Jews, but as we continue on, uh, and we're going to look at uh, chapter 8 in, in depth, I think this is an interesting chapter. It's almost like uh, it, it summarizes a lot of the things that Jesus is here to show us. But we see that, first of all, he's the king over sickness. Uh, and I'm also going to read the same section. So he's also the king over demons. He's the king over sickness. He's the king over suffering. And he's the king over demons. He's the king over the physical suffering of this world and the spiritual suffering of this world. And we see that in Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. Matthew 8, verses 14 through 17 says this, And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. And that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Right here in this short section, there is a summary of what Jesus was doing. As he came, this new king showed that he is the king over sickness and suffering. He showed that he's the king even over demons and over the spiritual realm. And he does that through casting out demons. He does that through healing illnesses. And we're told that the Old Testament and Isaiah has pointed us to this new moment. That the one who was to come, who would be the king, would take our illnesses and, and bear our diseases. And that's what Jesus does as he comes to heal people from their oppression, whether it's physical or spiritual. And so we see that he's the king over those things. Later in chapter 8, we see that he is the king over nature. He is the king over nature. And you'll remember this uh, this story as we come to eight twenty three through 27. And this is what we read. And he, when he gave him into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O, ye of, o you of little faith? And he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him? Jesus shows us in this instance, as well as others, that he is king over nature itself. He is the creator king and therefore has complete authority over it. Remember, Jesus says he has all authority over everything, and that includes now sickness, demons, and even nature itself. He is the king over all. But we continue, as we look through the book of Matthew, this idea of Jesus being the new king that has come. And we see that he is not only the king over all of these things we just mentioned, but he is the king of judgment. He is the king that will bring all things to its rightful end. He is the just king that will bring judgment to the world. He will bring mercy to his people. He will bring blessing to his people, but he will bring judgment to the world. Those who are wicked, who have turned their their backs on him. 
We see that in chapters 24 and 25, and we took a long time to dive into those uh, incredibly difficult passages to try to understand what Jesus is talking about as he talks about the end of this age and what that's going to look like. But at the end of the day, what we saw very clearly is that at the end of this world that we know it, when Jesus comes and, and to complete all things and to bring all things together, there will be blessing of the, uh, of the righteous and there will, be, um, there will be punishment and there will be judgment on the wicked. He wouldn't be a good king if this wasn't true. The good king will come to take care of what justice demands. And that's what Jesus will do. He starts doing it as he comes, as he, as he pronounces even judgment on, on hypocrisy and sin. But even more so when he comes again, which at the time that his disciples heard these things, they didn't quite understand all of this. But when he comes again, we now looking at the whole of scripture know that he's coming again to set all things right, to judge what needs to be judged and to give mercy to whom he wants to give mercy. And we know that that day is coming. And so he is the king who will one day bring justice. And finally, I, I, as we kind of, as we looked at last week, not only is the king of all these things, king of judgment that will come again, he is the king over death itself. He is the king over death itself. He has all authority, and how did he prove his authority over death? Pretty simple. He rose again. He was dead, he was buried, and he rose again. He was risen. God rose him from the dead to show that God had power over sin and death, and that Jesus is the king over all. That death cannot hold him. That sin cannot hold him. Death cannot hold him. He is the king over even death. The greatest enemy that we have. He is the king over all. He has authority over everything. And so we remember that as we look through the book of Matthew. So again, as we look through the whole book, we understand that the new kingdom is here and we have a new king. A new king that is the king of the Jews that's been promised for all time. He is the king over sickness, over demons, over nature. He is the king of judgment, and he is even the king over death. And so we see that throughout these pages of the book of Matthew. The next thing we're going to look at, if we go back and think about that great uh, commission, not only does he say that I, all authority has been given to me, but he goes on and says, go and make disciples of all nations. And so the next thing we're going to look at is that we have a new king, but there's also a new people. There is a new people in this heavenly kingdom, Remember, the Jewish nation would look at their nation as the one who is the kingdom. That the Jewish kingdom was but the, was what the Old Testament was all talking about. It's only for Jewish people who are looking forward to having this Messiah that will come set them free from their Roman oppressors and again set them up as a kingdom that will rule the world. That is how the Jewish people would look at it. But we see, as Jesus shows us throughout these pages, and right at the end says, he doesn't say, go make disciples of Jewish people. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. That every single nation, every single people group, everyone is worthy and everyone needs to hear the gospel of Jesus and to be made followers of Jesus Christ. And that's what he commands his disciples to go out and do. It's what he commands us to do, to go out and reach the nations. But we've seen that through this book. This shouldn't be a surprise as we get to the end of the book and Jesus says this. It shouldn't, it, 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 it should not get us to step back and say, well, why is he talking about all nations? Why wouldn't he be talking about the Jews? I mean, he's the king of the Jews. So why, why would he talk about all nations? Well, we've seen it throughout these pages. Just a few examples that I want to draw us to in chapter two. Well, we already talked about them. The Magi. The Magi came from the Far East. They came to visit Jesus and worship him. 
They weren't Jews living in Jerusalem. They weren't Jews living in the area. They were instead from the Far East. And they came and they worshipped the king. Right from the very beginning. Right as he was just a toddler. He's being worshipped by the world, by the nations. We see not only all nations, but we also see that he reaches out to people who the Jewish people would have looked at as, although they're Jews, they're not really worthy of the kingdom. Because he also, we see not only the Magi in that very beginning, but we also see him ministering and healing and working with the unclean of society. In chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, he heals a leper. We see that he heals lepers. He heals cripples. He heals blind men. He heals women. And I say that because in that time, women weren't looked on with much, uh, with much value. But Jesus comes in and he says, listen, I don't care if you are a leper, you're unclean. I don't care if you are uh, ostracized from the group for whatever reason it might be, whether it's physical or, or stereotypes or whatever it is, everyone is going to be affected by my ministry. That's what Jesus says. That's what he does. We see that through his work. The people he reaches out to, he doesn't, he goes to the poor, he goes to the rich, he goes to the sick, he goes to the healthy, he goes to those who need him. And so Jesus says all people. And so when we talk about all nations, it's not just about geography, it's also about all people. His people of this kingdom are not defined by a certain type, they're not defined by a certain area, they're not defined by a certain ability, they are defined by his mercy, by his love and by his grace. And Jesus has shown that through the pages of this gospel. And now he finishes it out by saying, make disciples of all nations. And then, of course, we see in the very real way, not only do the Magi come to worship him and the unclean and the outcast are reached out to, but also the foreigners, which really is what we're getting at here. The foreigners, these are people who are not Jewish, that don't, de- don't deserve God's grace. And I say that in the sense of what the Jews would have thought. But foreigners come to Jesus and he does not send them away. Two ex- examples of this, you'll remember. When, again, one in chapter 8. It's the Roman centurion to come and he asked for his servant to be healed. And because of the faith of the Roman centurion, who's not a Jewish man, Jesus heals his servant. And then even more specifically, and I, uh, this, is, uh, this passage I want to go to to remind us of where we've been, but Matthew 15, you'll remember uh, we talked about dogs a little bit. And if you remember in chapter 15, we see that Jesus makes it very clear that he has not come just for Jewish people, but he has come for all people who have faith in him. So 15, 21 through 28. Let's just read that again. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word, and his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. We see this Canaanite woman, not only a foreigner, but someone, the Canaanites, evil, seen as the ones who are the scourge on the Jewish population, the ones that have always been their enemy, and yet Jesus uses this opportunity to show that he will even reach out to those who others would see as dogs. 
And so we see as a whole, and we can see this in many other places. We don't have time to explore all of this. Read the book. You'll see it happening. Jesus does not just confine his ministry to only a select few. He reaches all people of all nations, of all types. We see that Jesus does that. There is a new people. In this new kingdom, there is a new king. There is also a new people. It's not just for Jews. It's for those who believe in Jesus. Jews and Gentiles alike. And we see that throughout the pages of the whole New Testament, for that matter, but also through this book of Matthew. Next, we're going to see that not only a new king is here, a new people uh, in this kingdom, there is a new law. There is a new law. Uh, And uh, I hesitate to use the word law, but uh, Jesus himself says that he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And so we see a new law comes as Jesus comes as the king of this new kingdom. And what this law is, well, it's Jesus' words. It's Jesus' words. Here we see it in the Great Commission where he says, Teach them all that I have commanded you. All that I have commanded you. And so we're just going to look at five uh, general areas of teaching that Jesus used through the book of Matthew. We're not going to reread them. You can go back and listen to the sermons. Again, you can read them for yourselves. But let's just do a little bit of review. We see that Jesus, early on, starts with the kingdom discourse, which we also would know as the Sermon on the Mount. We remember the general idea of the Sermon on the Mount was simple, that Jesus, again, didn't end the law. He was fulfilling the law. And that fulfilling of the law meant that obeying God is about our heart's attitude. It's about our heart and not about external actions. We saw that over and over again through the Sermon on the Mount. That belief and faith in Jesus and a heart that wants to obey him out of love and faith is what he looks for, not just simply going through the motions of doing what's right and what's wrong according to the letter of the law. And so he makes it very clear that Jesus, as he comes, is this new king in this new kingdom. There is a new law. Not It's not even really a new law. It's a, just a different kind of law. Because things like adultery are no longer just about when you cheat on your spouse, but it's about when you look on somebody with lust. Or it's no longer just about if you kill somebody that you've murdered them, but it's also if you have hatred in your heart. And he goes on and on and on throughout that kingdom discourse to say, this is what kingdom life will look like, and this is the new kingdom law. That it's about the heart and not just about our external actions. He goes on later on in chapter 10, and we looked at this as the kingdom mission, that he teaches his followers that there is a mission for them to go forward. That in this kingdom, they are his, as we think we've mentioned it, not-so-secret agents. They're going out into the world to bring the gospel, to bring the news of Jesus, to bring news of the new king and the new kingdom to the world around them. And this would be the mission of the people that are in the kingdom. But he also, remember in verse 10, or chapter 10, would say that spreading the gospel is what we're called to, but spreading the gospel will bring opposition, but it'll also bring rewards and blessing. And the understanding is, is yes, following Jesus and the mission of bringing the kingdom to the other people in this world is going to be hard and it's going to be difficult and it's going to bring terrible opposition. But at the end of the day, it's all worth it because Jesus is worth it and the blessing of his presence with us is all we need. And so we see that as they go forward into mission, as we go forward into mission. He not only taught about the the discourse of kingdom life, he not only talked about the mission of the kingdom, he also taught about just the, the, basically, who will be in the kingdom. He did that through a bunch of parables, the kingdom parables. In chapter 13 and 14, the kingdom parables. 
and we see the general idea. Some will enter the kingdom. Some, by faith, will know Jesus. And some, by faith, will hear the gospel and they will respond with faith. But there will be others that will hear the gospel. Some that will even have the gospel start to make a difference in their life, but they will walk away. So there will be some that receive it and some that don't. Some will be in the kingdom and some won't. Not everyone is guaranteed to be a part of this new kingdom. It's only through faith in Jesus that that, that kingdom can come in our lives. And we also looked at through those kingdom parables that being in the kingdom of God is more, uh, the heavenly kingdom is more valuable than anything else. We looked at the great pearl. We, we looked at the buried treasure. That it, you would be, you should be willing to sell everything. You should be willing to give up everything to be in the kingdom of God with King Jesus and be his disciple, to be one of his people. And so he taught about what that looks like, that the parables of the kingdom show us that to receive the kingdom, it's to receive it in faith and humility. Speaking of humility, uh, as we go on through the book in chapters 18 and 19, you might remember, um, then we talked about a kingdom people or a kingdom community. What does the community of the kingdom look like? What are the people of the kingdom look like? How do they live? What does life in this new kingdom actually work out to look like? And I'm just going to sum it up with a couple of words, and the big words that come out are humility and forgiveness. Humility and forgiveness. A people who are humble, that are not relying upon themselves, but instead look to God, and, and a, a, pe- a people who are not so concerned about themselves that they forget about others, but we are humble, that we look to God, understand our standing in, in front of Him, and we treat Him and others with humility. That we put ourselves in a place where we would worship God and love others. And that worshiping God and loving others will show up in ways of forgiving one another. Unlike the world and the kingdoms around us who are fighting and just constantly divided, as the king, as kingdom people, we need to be ones of humility. We need to be people of forgiveness. That there would be true unity amongst the people of God's new kingdom. And finally, we see that Jesus teaches that the kingdom is coming. The kingdom has started, and yet the kingdom is coming. Chapter 24 and 25, this goes back to all the end times predictions and things that Jesus is making, and he's talking about what's going to happen before the end comes, and he talks about all of that stuff. But in the midst of that, what we see again is that Jesus is going to make all things right. The, the kingdom is going to be once and for all physically understood and fulfilled through Jesus as he comes to make all things right, as the righteous are blessed, those who walk in faith, and those who are wicked, those who don't walk in faith, will be judged by the king. The end of the world will come with the second coming of Jesus. And he taught that to his disciples. He taught that to us. Again, as we go through the book of Matthew, we see what are the things that Jesus has taught. Well, he's taught how to follow the law with our hearts, to know that we should go forward and preach the gospel despite the opposition, that there will be some that will come in and some that won't, that there, as a kingdom people, we need to be a people of humility and forgiveness, and we also need to be look, looking forward and living in a way that is looking forward to Jesus' return when he sets all things right. So as we look forward to that day, it will, it will inspire and change the way we live right now. And so as we look at Jesus, all that I have commanded you, Obviously, you can read the whole book and understand every single thing that Jesus is talking about here is something we need to follow. But we see that the kingdom is coming. So that's the third new thing. We see a new king, a new people, and a new law. Now, we also see a new temple. A new temple. And this, we're going to talk about Jesus' presence 
At the very end of the Great Commission, what does he say? He says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus promises his presence with us even to the end of the age. And this shows up throughout the book. Right in chapter 1. I think Pastor Justin mentioned this last week. Chapter 1, what is Jesus called as he is born? Emmanuel. God with us. The book begins with a baby being born that is God with us. The book ends with a risen Savior who is going back to heaven saying, I am with you always. Beautiful book ends. Emmanuel, I am with you always. See, Emmanuel didn't end just because he died. Emmanuel didn't end just when... It wasn't the, Emmanuel, it was just the baby Jesus. Emmanuel is Jesus. He is God with us all the time, always, forever. That's what he tells us throughout this book. We also see many things about the temple throughout this book. And we could miss this and not quite understand what's going on because we don't have a temple that we look to. But the Jewish people would have understand these temple motifs that he uses. And the understanding is, I mean, we go back even to chapter 21 and remember the cleansing of the temple. That Jesus comes in and says, the way that you're doing this, the temple itself is not where you find the presence of God. And we looked at the fact that through other passages of Scripture and through what we see in Matthew, that Jesus is very clear in his ministry that the temple, the place where God dwells, the dwelling place of God, is no longer in a building. It's not in a temple made with hands, but it is within and with himself. He he is the temple of God because he is God with his people. And then we're going to look at a little bit later. Not only that, then he gives us the promise of the Holy Spirit who is in us. So Jesus is with us through his spirit that is in us. And it's a beautiful thing that we see, and we're going to look at that as we conclude today. But we just need to understand that the cleansing of the temple shows us that the temple is not where the true presence of God dwells. Jesus is replacing the temple. He has replaced the temple. He is the very presence of God with his people. And so Matthew makes that very clear, that the Jewish way, the old way of thinking that God is here in this temple is no longer where God is. God is in Jesus. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And then right at the very end, as Jesus dies, we looked at this last week or two weeks ago, the tearing of the curtain, the symbol that shows us that through Jesus' death, there is the separation between God and his people is no more. Through Jesus, we have access to the presence of God in a way that the Jewish people never did. Through Jesus, the presence of God is here with us, not separate from us. And so we see through this book that as the temple is brought up, And Jesus, in other places, it talked about the temple being his very body. And we look through the book of Matthew and we we draw these connections to say Jesus is showing that in this new kingdom, not only is he the new king with a new people, not only is there a new law that we are to follow through Jesus' words, but there is a new temple, there is a new presence of God that we can truly understand. It is different than how it was in the Old Testament. Now, obviously, God is always omnipresent, but we're talking about the personal relational presence of God with his people. And that's what is promised through the book of Matthew. That we no longer have to send a priest into the temple to talk to God for us, but instead we have direct access to God himself through Jesus, through his spirit, as we come together and know that his presence is always with us. His relational, personal presence is always with us and in us. That is the new temple that we can look to. Jesus' presence, I am with you always. How beautiful that this is where Jesus ended. He didn't say, hey, have a good life, see you later. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
So let's look at some concluding questions and some concluding thoughts. Uh, There's a lot more things that we could have brought out about Matthew. I mean, there's 28 chapters. There's a lot here. And we couldn't break down everything, but I do believe that as we look to Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, we see that the old covenant is gone. There's a new and improved covenant through Jesus. Not that he abolishes everything, but he fulfills everything. He fulfills everything that the Old Testament has been pointing to. And so these things show up. He's the new king with a new people, with a new law, and a new presence. So let's ask some questions. As we think about the book of Matthew then, as you walk away from this book, we need to ask the question, are we submitting to Jesus' authority? Are we submitting to Jesus' authority? And I know I've said something like this before, but I want to say it again. The thing about Jesus being king is that it's a fact. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. We can't make him king of our lives or make him Lord of our lives. He already is. Will you recognize that? Will you listen to him and follow him because he is your king, whether you like it or not? Now, you can choose not to follow him. You can choose to follow other kings. You you can make yourself king. You can make others king. You can make material wealth king in your life. But at the end of the day, Jesus is king. And so you need to live like Jesus is king and you need to follow him as king. This king came as a baby in a stable born in a humble, the most humble way possible, lived a life of perfection, ended up ministering to people of all kinds, of all people, showing people the way to God is through him. He does that, then he dies on the cross. He was condemned to die even though he had done nothing to deserve it. And he was condemned to die because he was there to pay the price for our sin because we were the ones who are sinners. We are the ones that are condemned to death, to being, to perishing, to being outside of the relational and personal presence of God in hell. That was what we were destined to and destined for. But Jesus, through his perfect life and then his death on the cross, says, I will pay the penalty for the sins of my people. And Jesus does that as king. The king himself gave his life for us. And then the king himself rises again to say, Hey, by the way, sin, death has no power over me and has no power over my people. That is the gospel, the good news, that Jesus came to set us free, to pay our punishment that we couldn't pay, to live the life we couldn't live and die the death that we deserve to die. That is what the gospel is. And we come to him and to simply know him and say, Jesus, I believe you and you are my king and I will worship you as king and I will follow you as king. That is what we are called to do. If you are not, if you are in this room and you are not viewing Jesus as your king, but you are following others. You are going the wrong direction. You are rebelling against the king. Don't do it any longer. Turn to the king. Follow the king. Love the king. Worship the king. Because Jesus is here and he loves you and he died for you and he rose again for you so that if you just come to him in faith and you just submit yourself to the kingship, if you enter the new kingdom that he brings through his kingship, just come to him and ask and you can be in the kingdom of light. That's what the Bible says. That's what the book of Matthew says. So the question is to all of us, are we submitting to Jesus' authority? Have you submitted to Jesus' authority through responding to the gospel? And are you submitting to Jesus' authority by listening to what he says and doing our best to walk in that? We'll talk about that in just a moment. 
Next question, are we reaching out to those whom Jesus did? And I ask this question only because we see, and it's wonderful, we have missionaries with us today and it reminds us, the gospel is for all people everywhere. Not just for American Christians or American churches, not just for the people we like, not just for the people that look a certain way, not just for the people who are rich, not just for people that uh, seem to be good candidates. Jesus is the king of all and he calls to all people. Jesus served all people. He ministered to all people everywhere. And so will we share the gospel with all people everywhere or will we hoard it to ourselves? And unfortunately, many times, I can say this for myself, and I would assume even for you, there's been times where we've had opportunities to bring the gospel to anyone and everyone that we can, and we just keep it inside because, hey, it's good for me, but I don't want others to have it. Or we wouldn't put it that way. I'm too nervous to talk about it with someone. But at the end of the day, we should want to see people coming into the kingdom of God. And let us not judge people and feel like people are lost causes, or not talk to certain people or go certain places simply because it seems like they don't deserve it or it seems like they can't know Jesus because Jesus saves anyone who comes to him in faith. Next question, are we living out the words of Jesus? So this is really important as we look to the book of Matthew. Jesus does not throw away the idea of obedience. Actually, Thinking back to the Great Commission, what does he say? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. To observe, to not only know it, but to do it. That's observing. You see it and you do it. That's the idea here. And so so we look at obedience, and Jesus is not throwing out obedience as if the Old Testament was about obeying laws and the New Testament is just about doing whatever you want but just believing in Jesus. No, he says that if you believe in Jesus, if you have a relationship with Jesus, if you are in the kingdom of King Jesus, then you will live like you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. So the question we have to ask is, does our does the way we live reflect the ways and teachings of Jesus? Does the way we live truly reflect how Jesus taught us to live? Because if it doesn't, we're living in active rebellion against the king. That's not a place you want to be. As we look through Matthew, it's very clear that, yes, Jesus calls us to obedience. It's an obedience from the heart. It's not an obedience, just external obedience, just to say we're doing the right thing. It's an, it's an obedience that comes out of a love and a faith in Jesus. But obedience is still there. And as Justin said last week, how do you know what to do? How do you know how to live like Jesus? It's pretty simple. Read the Bible. Read it. Know it. Discuss it. Listen to it. Meditate on it. It's important that we see the words of God. We see the words of Jesus. But we don't just walk away forgetting, but instead we do, as James would tell us, to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And finally, the last question this morning that we'll look at. Are we aware of Jesus' presence in our lives? Are we truly aware of Jesus' presence in our lives? And I ask this question. It's been in several things in... Uh, my life recently that I've been trying to work through this idea of the presence of God. What does it look like? What does it mean? Well, so many times we throw that around so easily. Like, oh, I just feel that God is here or I, I, Jesus, I just want your presence. But what do we really mean? And how does that really look? Well, I think we need to talk about this. Are we aware of Jesus' presence in our lives? Listen, the, the gospel of Matthew, Jesus' words, the very last words of this gospel were very simple. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And that's the words that we can be left with, and I think today that's going to be the words that we're going to be left with. 
that Jesus is present with us everywhere and at all times. And we need to believe that and know that and not take that for granted and truly understand it and be aware of that. See, so many times I've heard people pray for the presence of God. I think what we need to pray for is that we will recognize the presence of God. Because we actually see that God cares about being with his people. God cares about being present with his people. And what I'm about to say is something that I've got from a, a video sermon we actually were looking at at Charge. But it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. And it's the idea that God throughout the whole Bible has made it very clear that he wants to be with his people. That he wants to be present with his people. He's not a God that is disconnected, that has created his people and then walks away and says, you guys do whatever you want and I'm just going to walk away and forget about you. No, God has always wanted to be with his people. From the very beginning, the Garden of Eden, God walked with Adam and Eve. He was with Adam and Eve in the garden until they chose to rebel and they were expelled from the garden and as a result, even expelled from the very presence of God, from the personal, relational presence of God. So then, as we go through the Old Testament, we see that God calls Israel to be his people where he will dwell and be dwell in this world. We see that start even in the book of Exodus as he shows up to lead his people with the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. And we're, we see that that is his presence going before his people. He's with his people. And then they build a tabernacle, which is a tent in which is the what they would look at as the dwelling place of God, where God would dwell with his people in the tabernacle, in the tent of meeting as they, as they build that. And then later on, after they travel and they get back into, and they get into Israel, then they build the temple. And it's the same idea. And this is where the Jewish people got mixed up because the temple, they built it. And this was God's way of saying, I am with my people. And they started then to look at the temple as the, as what was important and not about the presence of God itself that was important. And so God wanted to be with his people through the temple. And as we looked at today, God is with his people through Emmanuel, through Jesus himself being born to come to be among us. He is with us. He is God with us always. But then it didn't even stop there as the New Testament continues to talk about what it means for Jesus to be present with us. It becomes very clear that we have something that is so spectacular that we, can't, we, we, I believe, do not understand and that we do not truly really think about very often. And that is the fact that his presence is still with us today and it's with us as he is also in us. The Holy Spirit, God himself, dwells in us. He indwells us, as the Bible tells us. And actually, I want to look at a verse as we look at this in John chapter 14. John chapter 14, some verses 15 through 20. Okay, we're talking about following the commandments, the new law of the new people of the new kingdom. John 14, 15 through 20 says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And I love verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. Notice these, the words here. It's not just about being with us, it's also about being in us. He dwells through his Spirit in us. That's how we can obey his commandments. That's how we can live as people in the new kingdom. 
because we have a new spirit within us, the spirit of God himself. God himself is with us as the Holy Spirit. So he is with us because the spirit is in us and we can live as kingdom citizens through the power of God and only through the power of God. Not through our own power, not through our own strength, but through his power that he gives us by being with us and in us. And so that's what we can hold on to. So the question I have for all of us is, do we really believe this? Or do we live in a way that is unaware of his presence? God is personally and relationally with the people, with his people. If you are one of his people, he is always with you. He is always in you. No matter what you're doing, where you're going, and how what your attitude is, all that stuff, God, he is always with you. Jesus is with you. And that's a great blessing. We have power to live the life that he's called us to live through his power. And we claim that and we say, thank you, Jesus. But at the same time, it also should bring some level of conviction, if that's the word you wish to use, as we think about the fact that no matter what we do and how we do it or where we go, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in us. He goes where we go. He does what we do. And so as we think about that, will we live in light of the fact that we have a new king, that we are part of a new people, that we are obeying a new law, that we have a new temple in Jesus, and he is always with us and in us. And let us live with that in mind and live in light of that as we think about the book of Matthew. I think we do have time for one final song. So as the worship team comes up, again, I want to read the last words of the book of Matthew. And these are where I, I want to leave on Jesus' words, not my own. I want to leave Matthew 28, 18 through 20. As we again reflect upon this whole book, this is a great summary. And this is what Jesus says at the end of this book. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let us sing to the one who is present with us. Let's, let's rise.